The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest today is Ryan Germany. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. Great to be here. We don't always just get, like, lawyers who wind up in the news. So I'm glad to have you. Glad that Jordan Fuchs has put it together and sent you to me. Talk about what you do today. Sure. Well, I'm a fan of the show, so... Uh, We've got one. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that, Mom? So now I'm I'm a lawyer in private practice. I'm at a firm called Gilbert Harrell here in Atlanta. It's actually a Brunswick, Georgia firm that has kind of a big government practice in Atlanta. A lot of ex-state government people. It's been a great firm. Before that, the reason people you know might know my name if they do is because I was the general counsel at Secretary of State's office from 2014 into, uh, until January of this year. Did you, did you just get tired of the day-to-day grind within the office, get tired of people pushing bureaucrat paperwork around, and you were like, I really want to get to the meat of some issues? Or were you like, screw this, I'm, I'm going to go find some anonymity? No, I mean, Secretary <laughs> of State's office was, was a great place to work. I thought it was a great experience. Even before, at the beginning of my time, Secretary of State's office, when I introduced myself, Oh, general counsel or secretary of state's office, people will be like, lawyers would be like, so what kind of legal stuff do you do? That's a great question. And then following the 2018 election and the lead up to that, everyone's like, oh, man, you must be really busy. It really kind of switched probably starting in 2017. It was always great experience and just interesting state government work. Then 2017 forward, just the election litigation became a massive part of the job and the, became much higher profile with, you know, then Secretary Kemp running for governor and then Secretary Raffensperger. I, I really like the job. It's just government. I mean, you know, Ben, it's it's hard. It's everything is kind of hard to do in government. And it was just time. I had nine years and I was like, you know, I, th- I think following the 2022 elections would be a good time to. Where did you go to school? I went to high school at Greater Atlanta Christian. Go Spartans. Go Spartans. <laughs> you don't get a lot of those. Although Jared Thomas, is a, he's a Spartan. Jared's a Spartan. And GAC was not the athletic powerhouse it is now back when, back when Jared and I were there. But it was a great place to go to school. And then I went to UGA for undergrad. And then I went to Washington and Lee in Lexington, Virginia for law school. When you, what did you study in undergrad? I started off in— uh, You at least read. I can read. I can do that pretty well. <laughs> and um, I started off in engineering. So my dad studied, my brother studied, and my grandfather studied. And I liked the idea of kind of a useful degree. Right. And I was in my first class drawing a hammer with AutoCAD, which is some software program. And I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> and so uh, I, I ended up in English and, and, and history. And that was I, – I love studying them. Did you get interested in public service before you went to law school or during the time you were in law school? I don't I don't think really either. I, it, it wasn't really on my radar. I, I liked I always liked 
following the news and reading about politics and as involved in the federal society and law school. Which is, if for those of you at home, that is a very conservative organization if there ever was one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Um, it, it, and and it, it was great in, in law school because it, it is kind of a needed balance to what you generally are, are learning in the, in the legal academy. I did that, and then I just went, I went to work for a, a firm called Lightfoot Franklin & White in Birmingham, Alabama, doing commercial litigation, and had a great, worked with great lawyers there and kind of learned how to be a good lawyer, I feel like. I hope so. But I, I learned from great lawyers, at least, so hopefully I took some of it. Well, if you're in that town, you're either a medical professional, you work in financial services, or you're a lawyer. And those are the, th- those are the only three people that live in Birmingham, Alabama. We're, we're going to step point of personal privilege. Talk about the food in Birmingham, Alabama. Just I, everybody, everybody can say it. I'm not taking anything away from Atlanta. Yeah, the Birmingham is a great place to live. It has surprisingly world-class food. My wife and I still talk about probably one of the reasons that I went to that firm is when my then-girlfriend, now-wife, came down to visit one summer when I was a summer associate there and they took her to took Highlands. Us out. They took us out to Highlands Bar and Grill, and God, it was like, man, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, you can't touch it. You can't touch it. Not and and, and I I say that if you want a if you want a weekend of where you just want to go gain five pounds, I know of three restaurants within probably five miles of one another that have all won the James Beard Award. In Atlanta, there's a handful of them. There's an equal number one town west with honestly probably better food. I mean, they're fatter people. It's better food. <laughs> well, the cool thing, the cool thing too about you know some of the those restaurants in Birmingham too is you walk out and you just feel perfect. You don't feel like oh, I just ate too much, even though you had a lot to eat. But that restaurant and I mean, Hot and Hot Fish Club and these are not restaurants you go to every day. But I remember taking people who were visiting Birmingham there and just like people from New York City were just like, whoa. And, and it, for the, some of you, like you have to get on the calendar of the restaurant like 90 days in advance. Like it's a, it's a real thing. When you're so there. I, I had one little secret. Yeah, go. Oh, that, by all means. It's not for anybody else, but it's my assistant who was a great assistant when I was at Lightfoot was also assistant for one of the senior partners. You know, they kind of share lawyers. And one of the senior partners, his neighbor was the Mater D at Highlands. That's yeah, not a bad guy. No, and so Amy would call, and she could kind of get she could get reservations, get you a table. With, yeah, without that, so that was uh, that was a nice a nice perk. I you do not get she to, didn't she didn't tell him she was calling on my behalf. You know, <laughs> you don't you don't get to look like this by being picky. I haven't been in a long time, but I I could definitely I could if if you gave me two nights, so two lunches and two evenings, I can I can plan you the best food weekend of your whole year. Easy. And it's even more so than from when we were there. Like, I, I left there in 2014. and Have you been to Automatic Seafood? No. See, that's the latest. You, it wasn't even there, and they've won the James Beard Award wow. since then. And the guy's from Atlanta. Oh, cool. Which is like, why would you leave? And he was like, because people write about you when you're here. I was like, that's actually probably true. Yeah, interesting. When you are at Lightfoot, what makes you want to look at evaluating coming back, and how do you how do you wind up getting the job in Governor Kemp's Secretary of State's office? And did you do that on accident, or were you just like, "Well, here we'll try this"? Yeah, no, it was it was kind of more of the of the second one. We had uh, our daughter in 2012, and so after we had her, we we're like, "Man, it'd be nice to be around some family." And I grew up in Atlanta. My wife, my wife grew up in 
Syracuse, New York, which is a great place too. We were just up there for the for the summer. Uh, I told my wife, I said, I'll look at, I'll, I could look at Syracuse. And she said, Ryan. Have you been in February? She said, I don't think you understand the length and the cold and the grayness of the winter. And I said, okay, you're probably right. <laughs> um, when the native's talking you out of it. Yeah. That's, uh, that means she doesn't want to be there. And Atlanta just has a lot going on um, you know, from a business perspective. And uh, I thought there'd be some good opportunities here. So I started looking for a job in Atlanta, kind of thinking – I would go to another law firm, but also in the back of my mind thinking, I really like kind of more of the business side, thinking about what my clients were doing. So I wasn't thinking about government service, really. And then I got put in touch with some people kind of who, you know, who knew who knew me knew, or knew people I knew and knew I was looking. They said, oh, talk to this person. They might you know, have some leads in Atlanta. One of them said, oh, you should talk to Secretary of State Brian Kemp. He's looking for a general counsel. I know nothing yeah, about Secretary that. That sounds State. perfect. Um, but but I I was put in touch with the previous general counsel, a guy named Vincent Russo, who's a great guy, and we we got along. And then we were talking about our friend Jared Thomas. I looked up kind of who worked who if I knew anyone in Secretary of State's office, Jared Thomas, another GAC Spartan, was there. He was a little older than me, so I reached out to him, and and we ended up getting something on the books and got along, got met Secretary Kemp. We got along really well, and he offered me the general counsel position. Isn't it scary? Like when you look back now and you think of all the things that the Secretary of State's office has been through with now Governor Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Ravensburger, when you took that job, there was no way in hell you knew. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> when you start, When do you start to see the Secretary of State's office as the in-house general counsel, when do you start to see that getting really politicized in negative ways? It was it was really probably the day that Secretary Kemp won the Republican nomination for governor, because uh, there was things that we had done for a long time that were kind of continuations of things that had always been done in terms of keeping voter rolls clean and just normal processes that all of a sudden became big time <laughs> controversial. And frankly, we didn't see it coming. We weren't, you know, these were not things that were new that we had just kind of started. These were things that Democrats had done when they were Secretary of State. Also, they're longstanding laws. And so that's really when that happened. And, and, and it was a big change. Did you embrace the fact that it put what you were doing more front and center with respect to how the country was going to ultimately perceive the office I feel like 2018 was probably a really good litmus test for what was going to come find you in a scale that you couldn't even imagined in 20 in, in 2018. Yeah, no, 2018 it really it really was kind of a good. Um, okay, here's what seems to be because frankly, I think you know the Democrats and Stacey Abrams had a lot of success with that argument that basically oh the voter suppression argument we we found out later of course. And What's a time honored Democrat? weapon that seems to get thrown out everywhere, but they still roll it out all the time. They don't want you to vote. They don't want you to vote. Like, well, and, and when we found out in Discovery in the Fair Fight case, that was something they had poll tested in terms of trying to get, uh, trying to test what what are good get out the vote messages. And so they poll tested voter suppression. Still is. Yeah. It, but it's also sad. I think the electorate in the state of Georgia pound for pound is probably the most in intelligent in the country across all 50 states. And I mean that on both sides. 
and it's still not incredibly intelligent. People watch a commercial and they're like, well, here it is. We've, we finally got them. And, and I say that with 100 percent respect, especially in light of 2022 and, and the reelection campaigns of people who, quote unquote, we, we're going to do the right thing for people. And you saw huge numbers for people that you're extremely close with in Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Governor Brian Kemp. It's like it was enough margin so that they knew that a lot of these guys were full of crap. And they were like, you know what? I don't I trust him on this issue. I don't agree with everything that they say, but I trust them. And I think that, you know, when you beat somebody by seven or eight points in essentially a swing state, I think Brad Raffensperger was one of the top. I think he outperformed Governor Kemp, which is a is a huge credit to both of them because it they were huge numbers for general elections. Well, when you go when you go from beating someone by one and a half points like Governor Kemp did in 2018 to beating the same person by seven and a half. I think that's sizable. And then I think then Secretary Raffensperger won his race by nine. Yeah. Um, against someone who was, you know, meant to be uh, and, 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 and an, an impressive uh, lady, too. But, you know, seemed to be kind of a, a real up and coming star. But I, we knew we had that one when she was having to kind of spend time and money trying to convince people, oh, this guy's not really a hero. It's like when that's your message, <laughs> when you're trying to convince someone your opponent's not a hero, then you're, you're going to have a hard time breaking through. Is now Governor Kemp transitions from Secretary of State into Governor? Did, was there any part of you that thought about trying to go with him, or did you really enjoy the work you were doing in the Secretary of State's office? Like, what goes through your mind as a guy who's really entrenched in the day to day? Because let's be honest, I'm sure you did nothing but look at lawsuits for most of your career. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to go with him, and we talked about that. He he asked me if I would stay at Secretary of State's office because. We had all, you know, at least a dozen lawsuits that were ongoing. And high profile. High profile. We had the, you know, the fair fight lawsuit that was really kind of, uh, if not trying to overturn, the, it wasn't trying to overturn the 2018 election, but it was really trying to kind of hit the legitimacy of the 2018 election and of, and of the governor. And so I think I had done a, a good job showing myself to be someone who could, could help handle those. And, and he asked me to help to stay and handle those. And then when we, when we won completely the fair fight case and it happened in 2022. So it, it took almost a whole first term. That was very gratifying. When you see him become the governor and you are entrenched, I want to ask you about 2020. There is no state that had more, I guess, eyeballs on it, it that are still eyeballs on it in 2023 with respect to that 2020 election with Donald Trump. When that started to happen, could you feel your life change? How do you not bring it home with you? How do you, or how, do, or can you not? It's it was. If you felt like Stacey Abrams occupied a lot of your headspace with the lawsuits you wanted to do, that was a molehill compared to the Republican president of the United States, who clearly had issues with how things were done, right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah, well, wrong, frankly. But um, <laughs> so, tw tw like you said, 2018 election was a good indicator of, oh, here's what a close election is going to look like in Georgia, especially one where kind of the mechanics of the election processes are, are challenged. So we, we, we had that happen in 2018, and we had the massive media input and take. And that was really good training for how the media is going to treat uh, election stuff. And what we learned was 
they're going to completely buy the Democrat line on it. So that's that's frustrating in 2018 because there'd be some line down in paragraph 22. Secretary of State's office denies that this is voter suppression, and it's it's, it's frustrating. Of course, later on, post 2020, we were saying, oh, actually, we don't think that happens, and here's our evidence. That was completely debunked by Secretary of State's office. You know, what's the headline? So, did did you get a subpoena for uh, the funny will? Funny Willis, Fulton County. Did did she ask to speak with you? Have they done investigation? I've tried to get her on the show. I, I I spoke with the DA's office back before the special grand jury, and then I was not asked to speak before the grand jury, the special grand jury, or this one. And I think part of that, I, I don't know why, but I what what I've said, and I've said this you know, to the legislature and in committees, and no, neither side likes this when I say this, but it really is. Uh, how it felt being at the I was in the same spot post 2018 election as I was post 2020 with different people or different cast different of characters. secretaries but different cast of characters so yeah a lot of people were in different spots I was in the same spot so I had pretty much the same looking at it from the same perspective post 2020 felt a lot like post 2018 and what we saw post 2018 was after the result came out people started getting complaints about oh this happened to me, and that was voter suppression. And of course, it had happened, you know, weeks ago, and you had said anything. And then, through the fair fight case, we later deposed all those people, and all their affidavits they submitted kind of fell apart. So, oh no, it wasn't exactly like that. It was more like this. It's like okay. And then same thing, post twenty twenty, we got all these affidavits from oh, this was voter fraud, and so we go talk to that person. I said, oh no, that's not exactly. What I, what I had in this affidavit wasn't exactly. It was more like this. And it's like okay, the tactics felt very similar, um, and, and and the the things that people were complaining about also felt very similar. I mean, whenever you have four million people vote in twenty eighteen or five million people vote in twenty twenty, you're gonna have some people that don't have an ideal experience. You know, especially for something that's especially in Fulton County where you and I live. But there's things that can come up, and it seems like when that happens. Whatever your political predilection is, is then you say that's my team. That, that was voter suppression. This yeah. this thing happened to me, and then in 2020, it's well, this was voter fraud because they said I I couldn't vote because I'd already voted an absentee ballot or I I'd, I'd already. And, and then whenever you dig into that, okay, here's what happened. That actually makes perfect sense. The digging kind of occurs after the headlines, and then it's as you know, it's just really hard to to get back on that. Doing what you do and had done for the previous essentially six, five or six years, when Donald Trump calls with that phone call that got put out by the Washington Post and all that, the tone and the tenor, did you immediately know there was just no credibility to what anything he had to say? Or did you guys do a lot of your own investigative research and figure out what the what the truth was in that time? And I mean, how did... How did that phone call and what transpired in subsequent days affect how you thought about him and the process? So that phone call didn't happen until January 2nd, which was what, a couple months after the election. So we had, we had already looked into um, not just kind of the specific allegations we had received from uh, Trump's team and his lawsuit to try to overturn the election, but we had also looked into just other questions that that we had gotten and things that we wanted to make sure, okay, he, we need to know the answer to this. From the beginning, here's the thing. If there's if there's a massive 
systematic issue from a voter suppression side, which I don't even like that term, but from something that doesn't allow eligible voters to vote or for something that allows ineligible voters to vote or some type of fraudulent activity, that's going to be pretty apparent from the outset. That's going to be that's going to happen. Appearing data sets. It, 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 and, and we're following that stuff every day as people as people are voting. And so, you know, you have an idea of what's going on. The, the kind of paradox of elections is in a state like Georgia, everything has to be perfect. There can be no mistakes. But elections are run by over 10,000 basically volunteers over the state. And so, hey, guess what? There's going to be mistakes, right? So you got to have ways to, to catch them and minimize them and isolate them and make sure something doesn't grow. And that's been the case in every election that I've been a part of at Secretary of State's office. And so we knew right away, just from a field perspective, there's nothing here that's big. Now, the issue is 2018 was a close election, but mm-hmm. the margin was 55,000 votes. Right. 2020, the margin was 11,778 or 79. I don't remember. But You've got it to within one. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, and so that means that everything just becomes when, – when the margin is that – close. I, I, I would put Georgia's election processes up next to any state. And I've heard people from both sides of the aisle say, man, Georgia does a great job registering voters. We do a great job with in the elections biz. We call it list maintenance, which is basically updating voter rolls when people move or die or kicked out of felonies. We, we have some of the best post-election audits. We do, you know, pre-election testing. We, we do all these things. We have we have good access for early voting and processes for that. And and I and I and I would spend a lot of time now defending the Election Integrity Act that we passed post 2020 that changed how we did absentee voting and I think that's been a really good thing too to move that to kind of a photo ID based system. So I'd put our processes up next to, to any states. We so to go back to your question, we we had looked into everything prior to that call and kind of found out like, for instance, you talk to someone who says, oh, I saw something suspicious in this batch of ballots. Okay, let's let's have our post-certified investigators or law enforcement officers go look at that batch of ballots and see what they see. So they go look and they say, oh, we didn't – we're not – we looked in that through that whole batch. We didn't see any of these, you know, so-called pristine ballots like you're talking about. She says, oh, maybe, maybe it was this other batch. Okay, well, let's go look at that batch. Okay, we didn't see anything in that batch either and then come back maybe it was this batch okay well that batch doesn't exist so at that point you start to think okay this is not really kind of an accurate report that we're getting but we knew that by sending law enforcement officers to go to go research those claims quite immediately a lot was made out of state farm arena and fulton county still probably is i don't read it all the time like i did when you guys looked, and I'm sure you took a look at Fulton County and State Farm Arena, did you see anything that transpired that should have been done differently? Did that were there mistakes that they clearly made? Like I said, there's there's always mistakes in elections. Going back to the looking at the Fulton County stuff, and I'll and I'll kind of walk you through the timeline. There weren't mistakes of any even close to anywhere that would um, put the result in question. I think we did find a few batches of ballots that they double counted. For instance, which is, you know, that's how you separate it, and that, that happens with absentee ballots, not with in-person ballots. But you scan the ballots in, and if you scan the same batch twice, then what you're essentially doing is 
double counting votes. And, the, and it's a real problem. I mean, election professionals have said that's something that should never happen. And it really should never happen. I think uh, with COVID, where we went to, I, I, I talked about some of this in the report that I did on the, the Fulton County performance review that, that, that I helped oversee along with some a Republican and a Democrat election official in Georgia. So we talked about that there and we really looked into it. In Fulton County on election night 2020 in State Farm, what I recall is we got a call from somebody saying Fulton County is, is they're going to stop counting at at 1030. Right. And we say, huh, that's that seems kind of early, um, especially for a group of people that don't do a lot well in general. And then our elections director at the time called up Fulton's elections director and said, hey, we're hearing this report. You're going to stop counting at 1030. Fulton's elections director says, what? No. So he calls over to State Farm and basically says keep working hey what am i hearing here now unfortunately i think the uh, because of covid they had separated where these processes happen now i will say one thing to um kind of pro fulton county is they just invested in this large they call it election central uh, processing center and it looks really impressive that's going to be able to have all the functionality happening in one place and i think that's really going to help fulton county because that's going to minimize the chances of uh, miscommunication or one person doing something that the other person doesn't know and, and, and that kind of thing. Because so I think that's really what happened in 2020. Was the feeling that you got being on the inside and having Donald Trump, President Trump, breathing down your neck over everything, was it – did you just get the sense that he was willing to do anything to go, find me 11,000 – 700 and 400 or 447 votes. Did you feel like he was really in a place where he was trying to do anything by any means necessary in order to flip Georgia? And the question that I have behind that was even if the man won Georgia, he still got killed. It wasn't like we have over a dozen electoral votes, but it's not going to make up for the beating he took everywhere else. So to your first question, well, First, he didn't get killed. I mean, when you, when you have an, an, an election of over 150 million people voting, that's decided by essentially 43,000 votes in Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. That's that's a very very close election. He lost by a lot more in the popular vote, but that is irrelevant. That doesn't. That's like looking at yards in a football but, game but, as opposed to points. But on the but on the electoral college scoreboard. He got smoked. You can say all you want about he. it was 50,000 votes and there is three or four states. That's a game we play. Yeah. Did you feel like what he was complaining about was legitimate? Or do you feel like what he was complaining about was clearly an axe to grind by any means necessary? I, I didn't get the sense that it was by any means necessary. I got the sense more so that, you know, he really wanted a different result and – Elections are kind of a complex thing. And so when people don't know about him, we saw this with a lot of his posts, the lawyers that he used post-election, they weren't really election lawyers. And so they're coming in and saying all this stuff and saying, oh, this looks weird. And it's like, well, not if you know about elections, it doesn't. It's This is perfectly normal. And, and here's what happened. So I think he was getting advice from a lot of people that was just wrong and we we didn't have any other insight at the time into yeah it's kind three of years later the other things that he was that he was up to or hearing or kind of the competing 
uh, messaging he was hearing, I think, from, from, from his side. The good thing is for us, like we had looked into all of it and we were able to pretty, we were able to, pr- to clearly say, I give Secretary Raffensperger a lot of credit for ordering the, the full hand audit because after that, there's really not much you can say. You right. know, when the when the machines go against you, you complain about the machines, and people forget, of course, that uh, you know, going back to our 2018 talk and Stacey Abrams' fair fight lawsuit, she had paragraphs in her complaint saying the machines flip votes from from Abrams to Kemp. So, like this was complaining about voting machines was not something that just came up post 2020, no. and so he was saying all the stuff that we had already been looking into before the election about voting machines. And so we we had very, I think, good kind of data and knowledge on that. These were not, because they were essentially recycling arguments that had already been made, but you, just changing the emphasis, We these, these were not new things that we were hearing. In the last couple of months, you have seen Dominion voting systems get tired of the narrative out there with Fox News, and they sue them or file a lawsuit in civil court. You are one of the preeminent election lawyers in the country. At this point, whether by force or by choice, that that is kind of what you 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 took the notoriety. When you saw that they were willing to take Fox News, put everybody that they could ever want to get in the, on the public record, Tucker Carlson, Jeannie Pirro, all the people that they had sent out day after day and really not given a lot of choice to, were you surprised to see Dominion take the tone being like, we're going to put your asses on the record? It's it's time. I mean, I think they had to. They, they didn't have a choice. I think the result speaks for itself. I think they when, – when, when you get down to the facts of what people – and this is what I say about anyone reading about election stuff is you need to be a skeptical media consumer about when you when you start hearing about election issues. Um, but no, I, I don't think Dominion had a choice. I think they did a great had a great case and they had the facts on their side. So it takes time and money and tons of effort to get that out. They finally did. And the result speaks for itself. You think Fox settled that for one reason and one reason alone was that they didn't want their personalities going. Yeah, we were kind of we knew we were driving a narrative that we didn't necessarily wholeheartedly believe in. I mean, I have no idea, but but that is what seems to have come out that some of the personalities kind of knew this stuff was baloney and they were pushing it. And that, that was disappointing. It's one thing that I think separated Secretary Raffensperger and Governor Kemp and some others, some people who actually showed true political leadership and were able to say, hey, we've looked into that. And that's not what we're seeing, even when a lot of their voters and, you know, a, a politician's case or um, – you know, viewers and Fox News case wanted it to be something else. I'm one of the guys who doesn't find a lot of integrity in plenty of things. If it circles <laughs> politics, I'll, I'm always kind of, and that's for everybody. I just don't deal in bullshit. And when Fox News was willing to sit there and kowtow and write checks with multiple commas and the likes of money that we have never, will never see. We'll ne- I don't think we'll ever see a lawsuit like that again around you know, for a, civilly for sure with that is so closely aligned to american discourse 
But sitting where you've sat and had the Republicans dislike you and the Democrats dislike you, when you just talk about current events, like what does Ryan Germany read that he feels like he can take at 83% face value? The Ben Burnett show. Well, <laughs> you can pay me later. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, that, it's a really hard thing. I used to be a big news consumer. I just liked you know, being up on what was happening. And then after I got to Secretary of State's office pretty early on, really in 2014, I would read things. And I always kind of, you know, I, I, I have, I'm conservative, and, and so I always kind of thought the news media was biased. I but, am too, but I don't like being lied to. But I kind of thought they were basically correct but biased. And then I started reading about stuff that I actually knew about from a – I know this is happening in the government, and, and then I read the article. I'm like, that's just wrong. That's not and, – and to their credit, you know, these guys have to – or in their defense, they have to put out an article pretty quickly about something that they just basically try to get up to speed on. Uh, I will say that it does seem that – we saw this in 2018. We spend a lot of time trying to explain, how here's what we think is relevant here. And you know, for if you're a Republican office, they, they pretty much ignore you, right? They want to go with – they're going to just ignore that perspective. And that makes it – I think that makes their job harder. Because Absolutely. They, they just – it's like, well, I mean, we told you the way it is, and you don't buy it. So that kind of got me – when I learned that, it took me longer than I care to admit to say, wait a second. If the stuff I knew know about is wrong, why am I assuming the other stuff I'm reading in the newspaper about stuff that I don't know about is basically right? right? And so that was kind of a little personal crisis uh, where, okay, well, where should I go get news? I, I really think it does have to be – Shows like this where it's more long form, where you're actually hearing uh, the perspective of somebody who knows. And, and you probably find when you talk to these people, it's generally a more nuanced take than oh. what you can get in the paper because that's just how reality is. Well, and there's no – you can't – I always tell everybody when, when they put DeSantis on his don't say gay bill and he was wanting to run through all sorts of issues where he was fighting with Disney, I was like – you guys need to go read. If, if that bill is 50 pages, don't read the headline. And you never know. what the, the third paragraph on the 47th page may actually be the part that was important that got left out. And you don't – you have no ability to know if it's by a vote in the state house or – you know, these bills, they're not always often small and nothing is perfect. I, I, I've told um, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones with Senate Bill 202, I was like – Dude, everybody should start voting on the it, for a runoff election on the same day. You guys should clean that up, and that yeah. vote should be unanimous. And 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 he would say, "Well, we missed it. You're always going to miss something, but when you don't go fix it, it, and it puts anybody at a disproportionate advantage, that's not right." And yeah. I, and I think they I think they will if they haven't already. And that's not to say that they were after the wrong thing. The bill got all the headlines because voter suppression polls really well, but it doesn't mean that it's perfect as the enemy of the good kind of thing. And there are a lot of things that can get better over time. When you see stuff, you're like, you know, kind of, you see stuff as something is implemented. Yeah, that you like, wouldn't have noticed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we missed miss that. I missed that. And, you know, it, uh, and, you know, to give, to kind of let him off the hook, at least it was really, oh, I missed that. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was kind of the one who was putting most of that bill together. The, the the issue that you brought up was actually 
a pre-SB202 issue. So the problem is we didn't change it in SB202. It wasn't something. And, you know, when you're looking at a bill, as you know, the stuff that you're not changing, you don't always look at that as, as closely. But that was something that it, it's always been the case, basically, that, that there's different start dates for oh, yeah. runoff. But in a state like Georgia now, it, it, it's a tough. And SB202, I think, actually did a good job with this because it started off for early voting just in a general election where everyone should have the same amount of voting, same times for voting. And, on so, and I get that, right? I mean, everyone has the same time on election day, no matter if you're a teeny county or a large county. You just have more places to vote. Where the legislature ended up, and, and I think this is, makes sense, is they did give some flexibility for larger counties where what we saw pre-SB202 was the larger counties were essentially using all of the weekend days. Of course, and they, they and, and, and they, they have to from an election administration perspective to get people through the, the turnstiles, basically. The small counties weren't because they didn't really need to. So SB202 changed it so that, okay, the first – there was one mandatory Saturday of early voting statewide. We're going to make it two mandatory Saturdays. So for all the non-metro Atlanta counties or and the non-metro counties really because I think the counties in Columbus and – Richmond, and we're, we're already doing this. Shocking. Then, um, and, and, and again, it's the same, but you, you know, you see it as like it's, it, it can, it, it looks political if you look at a map, but from an election administration's perspective, it's just about getting people through the turnstiles. I'm not, I'm not telling day. you, you guys didn't, did or didn't do it for a political reason. I, I, I take you at face value, but when you see it's like, well, we're going to roll this day and we're going to start now, and you use the, you know, the the Saturday because more people can go vote on Saturdays and Sundays than mm-hmm. – and you look at the small counties. At the same time, I always reference on my show, there's cogs and wheels. If you run a $6 billion surplus as a state, everybody can have the same freaking day. They can. Is it the most highest and best usage of a dollar? No. Does it remove the people and their ability to say – these people don't get to vote on Saturdays like we did. Not, I'm excluding the mandatory. At the same time, money solves problems. And nothing about what the government does at any level is the most effective use of your own dollar, period. You know, we're really good at mailing letters to Hawaii for 52 cents, and that's about all. Well, the difficulty to – I, I largely agree with what you just said. The problem is that elections are funded by counties. They so are. there is a pretty vast difference from a funding perspective between, you know, Fulton County spent a little more on their money on their elections, not a problem, and they have invested in elections, uh, which which I think has been good. Oh, and they screw the local municipalities super hard. That that's neither here nor there, but they have absolutely sat there and tried to put dollar figures on them that I know weren't bound in any sort of data science. It was like, it's going to be $300,000 for you guys in Alpharetta to host your little tiny city council election where 5,000 people are going to vote. It was like, I don't know how much money that is a person, but to the point that it's not the highest and best use of anybody's money, that's the first point. Yeah. I think that's something to look at too, I think too, because I know Milton is moving to its own elections. It's a lot smaller than Alpharetta. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a lot, but it's you know probably 
25 or 30,000 people. Alpharetta is probably 70. I mean, it's that's, half the size. That's a big difference in elections. Sure. From a, um, that, that's when you, when, you, when you start getting to the places the size of Alpharetta and Johns Creek. You know, those are the size of some fairly large counties in Georgia. For sure. Um, but but, but I, I know Milton's looking at that. Johns Creek, I think, is looking at moving in for 2025. They're all going to have to. Yeah. So I think and, – and, and, and I think it's, that's completely fine, especially – as we, you know, get to a spot in Georgia where elections is just so, it's so visible and scrutinized, and it, that, that's relatively new. Just, I, I can't disagree with you that they're not funded locally. Like that, Fulton County funds its elections, okay. But I'm telling you, like if you go to some of the more rural places that have less, we subsidize all sorts of stuff for all sorts of people from a state government. And plenty of that are things that you and I don't agree with, and Governor Kemp has to hold his nose and sign the bill because I know he's a fiscal conservative, and I know he wants to return money to taxpayers. If you take the tenor that you subsidize things that make sense in the, in the other places, like take Tolliver County's piddly budget, and yeah, staffing's an issue and everything else, but if they had the same days, at least you remove the, the constant – and that's an argument people on the right would say, this is not fair, and I have no idea the makeup of the county. But that's an argument that people on the right would sit there and be like, it's not fair to us, even though there's 12 people who live in the whole county. No, I mean, I look, I, 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 who do you think would freak out if Forsyth County said, oh, we're going to have Election Day on Monday, too? You know, Democrats would freak out about that. So having the same time, time frame makes sense. And frankly, I think um, having some state subsidy of elections makes a lot more sense than having federal subsidy. People like federal money because it feels no, a little free. Not anybody all. who's ever sat in locally elected okay, office. So I you know, it. it always comes with strings. With strings and and especially in elections, I feel like it would. So uh, it, it's and look, elections are government does a lot of things that you and I Ben probably feel like well I'll speak for myself. They're like, uh, do we have to be doing this? Elections is something that the government needs to do and we need to do it well we'll talk about your current role on the outside are you involved in other states are you sitting on the giant speaker tour what what uh what are, what are you looking at now because as one of the country's premier elections folks where where are you taking your career well i'm going to take uh my career to kind of the elections epicenter of the country, which fortunately we happen to be sitting in, um, which I guess is good for election lawyers. But no, it's been really it's been really good on the outside. I um, I do talk to people in other states, especially people who are going through what we've already been through in Georgia. For instance, oh, you're implementing um, a new voting system. We've done that in Georgia. Let me talk to you about kind of what what we learned some of the things here's but, my scars yeah here and here's like oh wish i wish i thought of that beforehand right um so trying to help other states with that other states with implementing in you know, georgia has a one of the best voter registration processes in the country which starting in 2016 right so which makes all the especially rich given that you can literally go get a driver's license and you have to opt out. Well, and, and especially given that, like, remember, <laughs> so we had that in place. Right. Before we were accused of being the secretary of suppression and all that in 2018, one of the most successful automatic voter registration programs in the country. And, and that, that didn't come from groups out there trying to register voters. It came from kind of a, a, a simple yet effective government change. It's been, it makes so much sense in Georgia 
given that it was one of the first states to be 100% Real ID compliant. So that means that that interaction at DDS is a very secure, uh, you're proving where you live with documents, you're proving that you're a citizen with documents. These are all things that, I, I think it goes to some of the almost like good government, like why do I have to tell this agency and that agency and that agency all like, the same stuff? Like Shouldn't you already know through? that? And so, and, and, it, and it goes to, we were, we were one of the first states to have really good data sharing between Department of Driver Services and Secretary of State's office and then down to counties. And so these are things that don't get a lot of attention, but they're the things that really have allowed Georgia to be successful, to, to be a leader and be successful. And so I, I talk to other states. I'm talking to people that uh, do want to be involved in Georgia's election next year and, and you know, showing them the, the lay of the land. Uh, one thing I, I want to be, and, and so far I've basically, I continue to do it on a volunteer uh, perspective, is to help counties. Because what, what, what we're seeing in 2024 is that all these third-party groups are amping up their resources. The, the parties, the political parties are amping up their resources. The candidates, the campaigns, everyone's kind of amping up resources. And where are they going to turn all those resources? They're going to aim them right on counties who administer elections, who are the only people who, aren't, who don't get basically more resources to really be ready for what's going to be a big election year in Georgia. I mean, the, the people that I'm talking to out of D.C., the Republicans, they know they cannot win if they don't win Georgia. I think, you know, Democrats would say the same thing. If they can win Georgia again, they know Republicans can't win. Ryan, thank you so much for spending time with me and saying two nice things about the show. I'm a fan of the show, Ben, and uh, I think you've convinced me on school choice. What, what about it? I think it's one of those things where when you look at, okay, what would this actually look like from a government implementation perspective, they, they, there's no way it there's works. a lot of a lot of difficulty. So I had uh, it'll be out. I'm not sure which I, I had the Faith and Freedom Coalition, which is I'm I'm a I'm a very right leaning business Republican. The social issues I can kind of take or leave. I get that I I agree with them as often as I don't. I probably agree with them more than I don't. I think when Republicans get to a place where they implement school choice. They'll be the dog who caught the car. I'm, I'm kind of a hypocrite on it like you because my daughter goes to a charter school that we love. Yeah. It's great. Um, Mine's a county charter school. Ours is a Atlanta Public Schools charter school. It's Atlanta Classical Academy, it's, and, and it's just it's a great school. But I think that's different. Charter schools are different than anyone being able to kind of go it's to still whatever gov- school they want. It's still governed by local control. Right. And, and what's frustrating, and I sit here, what's – Honestly, interesting. So you make my point for me oftentimes. The issues that are closest to you are rarely ever found at the federal government. They sound like really awesome talking points. But when you break it down and you truly go back and look at the things, at what would have to happen, I don't trust Fulton County to do anything. And they're all the major— And you know these guys. And I know plenty (laughs) of them. And I I, I say that, guys, they can't tell you where the— Fulton County can't tell you where the water lines are in Alpharetta. You really think that they're going to be able to tell you more about your public education system or more? Like, we're trusting them with billions of dollars to build a jail. Get out of here. And here's the thing, too, about, about Fulton County, because I have a lot of friends there. Um, but I agree with you. As a resident, it can sometimes be frustrating. When I was hearing post-2020, 
that, oh, the people in Fulton County pulled off this massive election conspiracy. Yeah, right. And it's like, yeah, no, I don't think I don't think they did that. <laughs> the only thing they could have done to do that is had everyone leave. That was literally the only like they shut down the polls at 430 in the afternoon and nobody could open them. That is about as organized if they'd gone on strike. But I do think uh, with your the, the points about school choice, if you live in Metro Atlanta, you already subsidize everyone else in the state of Georgia to go to public school. So if we're going to have school choice, give me my property tax dollars back and then we'll see. And then we'll see how you feel about it. It's been another episode of the Ben Burnett Show. Have a great day, everybody. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required. And they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required.